all, I'd like to uh, take a, a moment and thank uh, Rabbi and Mrs. Fold for supporting not only this event, but empowering our students to really explore what it means to be Torah Jews, what it means to be engaged in uh, tikkun olam through medical ethics. There are literally now hundreds of young men and young women who have been inspired by your support and by your leadership. So thank you very, thank you both very much. Thank you. Dr. Burns, who is the executive dean of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, who always serves as a guide for all of us on issues of medicine and medical ethics, to the uh, president of Medical Ethics Society, the Tommy and the Kalman. You guys do a great job. Thank you very much. And I think the way we're going to organize this, initially the way we were going to set it up was there was going to be three speakers. But I've come to the following conclusion. Number one, uh, Rabbi Willig is uh, a premier posic on these issues. Um, from the earliest times in the Rabbanas, I had the opportunity uh, to engage Rabbi Willig in these questions. In fact, there was a time in which I felt um, not confident to handle many of the questions, but I actually had a FedEx account that Rabbi Willig remembers that basically anytime I answered the types of questions in the immediate response, I would just basically send them to the house. And uh, Professor Yonatan Alevi, who is an expert um, in the areas of medicine and runs one of the premier hospitals uh, in the world. And so therefore I felt that it would be much better for me just to basically phrase questions to both of them. And if there is the slightest coincidence that maybe there's a, a comment that I might be able to add afterwards that's value added, then maybe I'll do so. But my goal really here is uh, to learn from the two giants to my left and to my right. So if we can start with the issues dealing with the beginning of life, and that is issues dealing with fertility. And perhaps we can hear from Professor Alevi, from Robert Willig, um, how they deal with these issues, the meta-narratives behind these issues, and maybe some uh, tough-litic, uh, purposeful uh, goals that come out when answering these questions or creating policies in hospitals. First of all, in the area of um, when when we have to deal with issues of fertility in a more aggressive manner, and we need to get we need to involve a gestational carrier or an egg donor. Uh, what what are the priorities, for example, in deciding who we should use as an egg donor? What are the challenges of using a gestational carrier? How does that a Jewish hospital that has to deal with the issues of maybe using Jews to play these roles and the halachic issues maybe of Shemi Yisab Asakhoso or other issues, how they dealt with. Um, how does Rabbi Willard deal with these issues? When they, I know that he's asked these questions on a somewhat regular basis. Question number one, if I can add one or two questions to that, and that is, we live in a time in which uh, people are getting married later in life and uh, with the new technology of O-site cryopreservation, uh, where we have perfected capacity to, to freeze uh, eggs, um, first of all, does that happen within Charizard Hospital, O-site cryopreservation? And secondly, um, turning to Rabbi Willig, how does he deal with the whole issue of O-site cryopreservation when singles want to, when single women want to fertilize, want to freeze eggs? in order uh, to have the capacity, if necessary, to postpone uh, getting married and still to make sure that they have the female gametes uh, to be able to have a child. 
So perhaps if we can start with those questions and then we'll move on to uh, some additional ones. Professor Lee. Thank you for the questions. You hit right on uh, a very sensitive spot and I will, uh, I will have to expand in a couple of minutes. Charitelev was founded in 1873 by a group of German uh, and Dutch Jews that convened in Frankfurt. And they decided that Jerusalem of that time, with the Muslim majority, needed a modern hospital outside the walls of the old city. Up until then, there were small infirmaries, because for even this within the walls of the old city. This group, who were all uh, students, disciples of Abishim of five years, decided that this hospital will forever be run according to the Jewish law, according to Alastair. And um, till this day, I take great pride in the fact that Shari Sedek is the living proof that almost, and I emphasize almost because you hit on the almost, the almost um, every breakthrough in modern medicine after the proper medical, halakhic, ethical research can be practiced in modern medicine. But when you talk about fertility, when you talk about IVF, the Vito Fertilization Unit in Sharon Sedek was founded, was established in 1993, 20 years ago. At that time, there were already 27 units in Israel. It was founded because, you know, and I'm sure that you will hear it from our ruling, not everybody agreed at that time that in vitro fertilization is agreeable to Halakha. Sicilietor did not agree for instance. Uh, and we established this unit as what we call a corrective discrimination, mainly for people for whom fertility in Dusha, the Kiddushim, is extremely important. So one could argue that what does an ultra-Orthodox Jew suffer, a couple that suffers from infertility problems care, if in the other room, uh, the removal of uh, the semen will not be done halakhically, or if there would be salvage motherhood. But this is the only aspect of the hospital where we took homeless on ourselves. We really restricted ourselves. There is no salvage motherhood. We don't do it. Uh, we are entering on an experimental basis with the free of reservation here because. I don't see a major problems there, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. But we did emphasize other fields of ultra-modern reproductive assisted technology. First and foremost is the PGD problem that the initiator, well, again, the fools, or the fools and Anita, his wife, who uh, came to me and told me about PGD seven or eight years ago. And uh, we were not the first offer in Israel to uh, establish a PGD unit. Uh, we were the fourth, but the only one to do it with a bar body biopsy, which increases the safety that an unhappy child will not be born from 95% to 99%. Now, there are many halakhic issues concerned with that. For those of the audience who do not know exactly what is PGD, I will say very briefly. It stands for pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. If a couple has a home and affect a child with one of the many, uh, one of the 50 monogenic diseases, prominent example, cystic fibrosis, status, familiar dysautonomia, neurofibrosis, Gaucher, there are 150 diseases. All these monogenic diseases are more prevalent among the Jewish Ashkenazi community because 
community, married among themselves for centuries, few million people. So we terrorize some big genes, BRCA included, and we can talk about BRCA because it's a different story than an inherited disease that affects you in Henry childhood. The allergic issues concerned are that what you do in PGD is you tell the couple to get pregnant to an IVF. When the embryo is 24 hours old, usually composed of 8 or 16 cells, you biopsy one cell. If it's a recessive disease, 25% of the offspring statistically will be affected. If it's a dominant disease, 50%. You select the healthy embryos and you implant in the womb. And we celebrated over a year ago, now it's already 250 healthy children born to families who either or both members of the couple carry the gene or has an affected or have an affected child at home. Now here we had no problem to get them head up. There was no allergic issue because uh, viability of an embryo is 40 days of embryonal life. We do the police procedure when the embryo is 24 hour old, so we can either throw away the affected embryo or conduct steps to research. As you know, Catholicism would not allow that, because according to Catholicism, lifestyle when the sperm is the egg. So here you see an ultra sophisticated technology that we endorse because it's allergically permissible, but we just relied on the fact that there are 35 other IVF units in Israel and we don't do some of this. So I just want to just make a point before we turn it to our Willie because I didn't want to get involved with any of the halakhic issues because again, you have a major post in the room that I didn't think was appropriate. However, uh, the Medical Ethics Society uh, did print two articles that I've written, one on PGD and one on definitions concerning maternity, which I think are on your chairs. So if you have difficulty sleeping tonight, I suggest starting with the PGD article. Um, so if we can, uh, at this point, then I turn it over to Rabbi Willie, and then maybe there'll be some follow-up questions, Rabbi. Thank you very much. All the questions are good. And uh, first I want to uh, thank my fellow panelists, and thank Professor Lee for the leadership of Shari Tedek Hospital. Very familiar with some of the important members of the medical staff. Most importantly, I want to thank you because I've been blessed with many grandchildren born in Charlotte. <laughs> the questions which I'm going to pose are very serious ones. And each one, of course, has a background. No question can be discussed in isolation. The question of breathing in, like the ball, name and term, is a very serious one. Uh, my humble halakhic opinion is absolutely permissible and even advisable in certain different circumstances. Perhaps we can explain as follows. The unfortunate fact is there are many older single women who are fearful that their quote biological clock is ticking 
By the time they're able to find a suitable marriage partner, they'll be unable to have children from their own eggs. Such a circumstance, I believe that any request by a woman to harvest her eggs should be honored. I do not believe it's a halakhic problem. One of my colleagues, Rabbi Hashem Machom told me that he has embarked upon this in Eretz Israel. To be honest, part of the impetus was to avoid a recent phenomenon which he and I both feel is inappropriate. And that is, and that is, single women having children of their own while they're single. For the same fear. Now or never. However they do it, even if it may avoid technological problems and insemination or the like, it's certainly not we understand the appropriate fulfillment of Puru, which Ramadan teaches us, is only in the context of marriage. However, a freezing act allows for the possibility that years later, this woman can have children of her own genetically from the husband that she'll meet, hopefully soon. So therefore, I think it's fine. And anyone who asks for it in that situation, yes. I just want to correct one slight nuance in Rabbi Brandon's presentation, which seems to indicate that there were women who, for other reasons, not for the lack of a marriage partner, but perhaps other career reasons, etc., wanted to do the same thing. And here I'm, I'm coming close. If the woman is married and she wants to postpone childbearing, five years to finish her career or any career uh, where I come from, a very traditional this should be discouraged and she should be told this if you want to have children now is the time to have children normally uh, there's nothing like having children in a normal fashion as every brand I'm sure knows I'm not sure if you meant it, just a, a little intonation, I wanted to make sure that my position is just clear on this now this is the question of freezing eggs now, PGD. The whole issue of IVF and surrogacy, in my opinion, once again, if the option exists to procreate in a natural fashion, this is what Allah prefers, and this is what everyone would prefer. But there could be situations in which there's a problem, whatever it may be, ranging from the Severe and extreme on the one hand, who other might consider trivial on the other hand. The extreme case, the woman has no eggs? Zero. Born without them, sometimes cancer treatments kill them, and she simply cannot have a child of her own genetically. But she can carry a child. So these kinds of cases, in my opinion, once again, IVF is 
completely permissible. There are many pros and cons. If I grant an intimator in a half a sentence, whether we should look for a Jewish donor, a non-Jewish donor, uh, we'll just mention briefly, for a grand use the Hebrew term, in order to avoid problems of marriage, which would be inappropriate, by unwittingly marrying a relative, there are those who prefer using a non-Jewish donor egg, which is comparable to the issue with respect to artificial insemination, sperm donation, but once again, it's a similar dispute among the various authorities. There, perhaps, it's a little bit more severe, but there are those who actually consider a child born a married woman and donor sperm from a Jew to be illegitimate. It is well known from Russian punishments as Jewish to the contrary, and so most authorities assume to this day. But, because there are some who disagree, and the issue of marrying unwittingly, there are many who prefer uh, non Jewish sperm donations. I will say my opinion for that for different occasions. That's not what we're talking about today. But in IBF, perhaps more room to be lenient that the donor egg from a Jewish woman would not create issues of illegitimacy. Of course, should be obvious, the Jewish woman is single. It's impossible to even imagine any illegitimacy. Once again, going to our Feinstein shock, to my mind, it's impossible to consider any illegitimacy, even if the woman who donates the egg is married, and to read our Feinstein carefully, even if the woman who donates the egg is a relative of the wife and by definition the husband. Take the following case. This is a real case, I'm not making it up. A woman happily married, unfortunately, medical problems, and she's alone and she no longer has her own hands. And her sister wants to donate an egg so that the sister who's affected, who's, who's presently married, can have a child of her own. Now, if they ask to give an opinion, unusual, but at this serious matter, I pumped <laughs> try to get the opinion of people much greater than myself. I was able to get as far as to say that according to our Feinstein's opinion, there will be no problem. This is what I communicated to the, to the family. Uh, it's arguable that even those who disagree with our Feinstein would agree in this case that there's no problem. There may be psychological problems. And this is what I, what I usually do. I spoke to Dr. Pulsford about it. Uh, a go-to man over here, and uh, we had a long discussion about it, and given the particular circumstances, based on his expertise, I felt in this particular case, it would be something which could be done, and perhaps it's even being done, based on the conclusion that we reached. In most cases, there's anonymity. 
this is with respect to Sprogla Nation, it's almost universal anonymity, it will be known there is. So too with respect to Echo Nation, the general principle is anonymity. Yes, you can find out if the person is Jewish or not Jewish. And yes, if the person is Jewish, you want to find out certain markers so that there should be no problem of marrying unwillingly to a relative. And the whole poor in Eric Israel and some people here in New York have also uh, tried to find particular criteria. Find the first day, find out different ways that they can figure out, identify who precisely who the daughter is to make sure that there should be no uh, unwitting marriage between relatives. This, of course, leads to the next question, which is common to surrogacy and IVF, namely, who is the real mother? Is the mother the genetic mother, or is the mother the birth mother? As you can well imagine, the rabbinic community has been split into many of these things. Can't blame them. It's an uncharted territory. We don't have this in the purely the Talmudic sources. Um, many of your early opinions, which found a way to create by eminent halachists, both here and in Eretz Israel, view the birth of mother as a mother. Uh, frankly, I would never have come to that opinion, despite my tremendous respect for the proponents, both here and there. I always felt a certain boost from the Gemara, not for now, that the genetic mother was the halachic mother. Just very recently, Rabbi Sherman, who's a well-known Diane in Eretz Israel, printed his discussion to Rabbi Yashiv Zatzal, who said quite clearly that he felt that by the strict halacha dictates that it's the genetic mother who's the real mother, which is what I've been saying for a long time. Yet, because we're not 100% sure, whenever we ask the case, we'll do uh, what we call the gear, the chumrah, each way. In other words, if it's a non-Jewish donor egg, you will do a gear, you will convert, because in my opinion, that's a strict halacha. The non-Jewish surrogate, the Jewish egg, will also do a conversion. So I think it's probably not necessary, because you want to make sure, you don't have any stigma to the child yet later. So we'll do the, you know, I, I presided over such gear in, in both directions. It's presumably a contradiction. Either this one is Jewish or that one is Jewish, but since we're not 100% sure, we try to play it safe and do the gear in both directions. Now for the question of PGD. When is it appropriate, when it's not appropriate? And here too, I, I find myself in a, uh, an unusual situation, often the case, but depends on the circumstances. It, it sounds funny to people, but I'm not an advocate of a couple getting married if they know before they're married that they share a recessive gene, such as Pesach and the like, I try very hard they shouldn't get married. But even though in the brave new world of IBF and PGD, they can theoretically live a life together happily and reproduce only through IBF and PGD, it's easy to rattle off Russia tapes, IBF, PGD, it comes out very easy out of the mouth. But for those who, who've been through it, who have family members who've been through it, it's not so simple. It involves significant medical intervention, stimulation of eggs, there are financial considerations, there are emotional considerations that the couple intimate life and the procreative life are totally separate from each other. It involves a lifetime of, 
of contraception, not to appropriate in the natural way. And yet, there are a lot of issues as well. I'm saying that's a lake. And therefore, I'd already been such a marriage. I've been involved in breaking up such relationships before the marriage. Once the couple's married, however, and discovered this, we're 180. Do whatever we can to try to help them out, including IDF and PGD. But there are cases where I have, and here I consulted with distinguished member of Dr. Malady's hospital. His name is Dr. Michal Schimmel. He runs the Pagia, uh, the unit, former neighbor and close friend of mine. With the case of fragile X, I'm not going into the details of genetics. Not recessive. The only way for this woman to marry and not pass on the fragile X to a child, which is a very complex and difficult situation, would be IVF and PGD. And she had found a friend, a male friend, who was willing to enter into the marriage with his eyes open, that this was they're going to do. So I said, go ahead and do it. He'll ask, I told you before, I'm trying to break up marriages. We were relying on IVF and PGD. There's a very simple distinction. In the first case, why should they marry each other? You know, love conquers all. But why should they have compassion? Why should they marry each other and cause so many issues and problems? In the case, presently, if the woman will not find a man who is willing to marry her and have children through IVF and PGD, then she can't get married at all. As you, anyone who's a little bit of halacha knows that one of the signature elements of halachic system that is a concept called Shazat Chak. Difficult, difficult situation. So we completely change our attitude and deal with these kind of circumstances. And therefore, this is how I feel about it. Now, there are, it was written up in Eretz Israel, the Medical Ethics Committee was, was split. There was a, a man, a, a, a Haredi individual, as I will describe in the press, who was unable to have, I think his wife was unable to have eggs of her own and they wanted to have a child. It was a purely technical problem. What's that? He was a Kohen. You know, what's wrong with being a Kohen? We love Kohen. You ever call her a Kohen? Whatever it was, he wanted to have IVF and PGD to make sure that he had a girl. Why? Simple. Because if it would be a boy, it wouldn't be his boy, he wouldn't be a coming. Can't pretend to be a coming. And therefore be obvious that something is amiss. To cover it up, he wanted to have a girl. To have a girl. What's the difference? And there was a discussion at the time. I'm not sure how long ago it was. Five years ago. Was this was this an ethical use of PGD or not? Some screaming, no, it's not a medical issue. Yeah, but see, it's like a shagas, as they called it. I'll use 
she called and you know, that he doesn't want uh, this problem, so we have the right to uh, go to IBM and PGD. Uh, this is working. It's a perfectly reasonable request given the circumstances. I, I'm not giving an opinion on it, but suffice it to say, this is something which exists not only in, in the area of Israel, it exists in America as well. And um, if it says you don't have to go to the Medical Ethics Committee to get it done here in America. These are very serious issues of uh, interface of medical ethics and halacha, and um, it's very important. Now, I was asked to speak, actually, on a topic which is was referred to earlier about exactly the sanctity of life, not at the end, as Dr. Halevi spoke about so beautifully, but about the beginning. Do we accept the position of, of the Catholic Church? Extreme position. As we said before, the sperm eats the egg, it's already a, a full life. This, of course, fuels what's probably the single most powerful, emotional, widespread, and extended debate in the United States, which is not very dead, because we heard that's a fairly rare circumstance. But rather abortion. Did not tell you as Americans <laughs> the abortion fights that have gone on and still go on in this country, where we have the intersection of the law of the land, religion, and the sentiment of the people here in this country. It's still going on. Perhaps you pass by churches with their big signs still to this day. Abortion is murder. That's true. They feel that uh, there's a full life in the moment of conception, then that yields an obvious result. Abortion is murder. Allah is much more nuanced than that. And yet, just as we heard, there were differences of opinion with respect to brain death at that end of the spectrum, so too there are major differences of opinion with the Allah giants on this end of the spectrum. Is abortion murder or is it not murder? Here, the opinion of Moshe Feinstein, the top, fundamentally, is yes, abortion is murder. Many others disagree and say that the violation of abortion, although the overwhelming consensus is that it is a Torah prohibition. Not rabbinic, we call it the rights of prohibition. And the fundamental uh, basis for that, and here too is a, an article which I printed in a big talk about 10 years ago. It's in your hand out. I'm not going to go through it now because time clearly is not allowed. But the overwhelming consensus is the Torah prohibition. And a significant proof of this is the fact that in the non Jewish world, abortion is a capital offense. That's clear in the Talmud and the Ramah. Capital offense. And the Talmud has a phrase that is nothing that is prohibited to a non-Jew, which is permissible to a Jew. We would give an extra mitzvah, above the seven of, of the Noahide laws. We give an extra. And therefore, 
because it's a capital offense, abortion in the non-Jewish world, it's only prohibited by Torah law and our world as well. The overwhelming uh, consensus, yes, there are those who maintain it's worse than that, it's actually murder, and there is a small position that only rabbinic prohibition on the other side. However, having said that, if you assume it's a Torah prohibition that falls short of absolute murder, there can be circumstances in which an abortion would be permissible. The Tit Eliezer, whose name was mentioned just before, is famous for his leniencies with respect to abortions in various circumstances, where there was a either a certainty or a high probability of a major problem with the fetus. Taste Act is the best example. Of course, when the abortion is done, it's significant. From a Jewish legal perspective, it was a 40-day cutoff, which was found in the Talmud. Uh, there was a brief window during which there was a system on the CBS which would determine in a very, very early stage whether the child was affected, and you couldn't possibly even do such an abortion within 40 days. However, uh, the medical community discovered to retire that some of these very early CVS were chopping off digits or limbs. So they no longer do that at an early stage, to my knowledge, anywhere in this country. There are many, many cases where we have to deal with this it's a painful topic. I think that I'm bothering not to consult with experts in the medical field as well as the field of genetics. Unfortunately, in my, my community, another neighbor of mine is an expert in genetics, and I consult regularly all the time with these kinds of questions. They come up on a regular basis, it's true. My time for presentation is up. Much more to be said. And I want to also end, as a friend of the camera, thanking the fools. Acquaintances of mine from many years ago have taken a leadership role in trying to see to it that the Jewish community, the Orthodox Jewish community in particular, can find a way, to the best of their abilities, to overcome these significant problems. Shalom in that. We bless everyone. As we were just reading in the Torah recently, Puru in the most natural and healthy way. It is not the leaders of our responsibility to take care of this exceptional case as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm just about to ask Professor Young Lady just to uh, make a comment and just frame that for one second. Uh, first of all, um, and I, I actually have Rashus to uh, mention this. Where I will have mentioned about both type prior preservation, and indeed my comments were focused particularly on a woman who is single. Um, Rabbi Bershkin told me that there was a conversation between him, Rabbi Lichtenstein, Rabbi Lichtenstein, and Yibadu Ben Samachim, and Rabbi Morsal Yabu regarding this issue, and that they all uh, were supportive of what uh, Rabbi Wolf said about uh, Oocyte prior preservation um, in cases in which women were single. Initially, they weren't all of that perspective, but after some significant conversations amongst themselves, 
they felt that that was the best thing. And when I asked for a first thing, it was permitted for me to share that this conversation happened, he said, most definitely. Um, I wanted to just uh, turn to Professor Yonatan Levy about if he could comment on two things, if possible. First of all, uh, using PGD uh, for sex selection, clearly there are significant postings that permit it. And the article that I suggested that you read in case you difficulty going to sleep at night, and one of the footnotes actually is list, um, or it shows you a link to a plethora of postings from Eric Israel who dealt with that. But I'd love to hear, since PGD is done so magnificently at Shari Tzedek, if Professor Yonatan could speak about uh, PGD regarding sex selection, especially in a psychologically challenged case like the case that I really mentioned, and perhaps also speak about the, uh, when the parameters of when abortion uh, may be permitted when there is particularly danger uh, for uh, the health of the mother. Okay, thank you. Um, both questions have the same answer, actually, and I will, uh, I will expand on that. Um, I'll start with abortion. The law in Israel, the, the state law, states that uh, abortions in public hospitals, so called they're not allowed outside public hospitals, are allowed when, um, in addition to severe um, uh, uh, defects in the embryo, are allowed when there is a danger to the life of the mother. Hospitals differ in Israel among themselves in the way they interpret what is danger to the mother. There are certain few hospitals in Israel where if a married woman would come with a third pregnancy or a fourth pregnancy and uh, would bring some documents by psychiatrists or psychologists that uh, she would be emotionally affected if this pregnancy goes on, uh, an abortion will be performed. I think Sharetetic is to the extreme right that uh, we will definitely do not interpret the state law in the way, in the liberal way it's interpreted by others. So it uh, has to be, if we are talking about the emotional or the psychiatric aspect, needless to say if there is evidence for unacceptable instance. Maybe that what for this is about to be born without a brain, we do abortions, it happens, we have so many deliveries and we follow so many pregnancies that we encounter this. I will not go into detail about other defects, embryonal defects, because they really vary. Everybody knows that Down syndrome can run from near normal to severely affected, so we will not do abortion if there are no severe defects incompatible with life in a utero uh, ultrasound study. But as far as psychiatric disorder is concerned, it has to be, and I don't remember, a single case in Charlotte where we did termination of pregnancy for psychiatric illness. Because it really has to be severe psychiatric illness with strong evidence that there is direct link between the psychiatric situation of the mother and the pregnancy. And this is very, very unusual. Now, about sex selection for PGD, I will quote again the state law. The state law, of course, allows sex selection when uh, the genetic disease is 
is extreme. It's linked to a gene where if a girl will be born, she will not be sick, and the boy is born, he will be sick. Sex selection is, of course, allowed. But the law in Israel, as far as I remember, and I don't remember if we have good, we don't do it, actually, is that uh, if you have, I think, four children of the same gender, whether boys or girls, and you want to guarantee that uh, the fifth one uh, will be of the opposite gender, you are allowed to submit your case to a committee okay, composed of gynecologists, internists, a social worker, representative of the public, and with documents to assess if father or mother in this case are affected psychologically to such an extent that it's worth doing this deal. When I use the word wealth, one has to remember that it's not an easy decision to tell a couple who does not suffer from fertility problems, and that applies to all PGD procedures, to undergo an IVF procedure. We are talking about egg retrieval under anesthesia. It's true that in modern technology, complication rate is near zero, but it's not zero. It's near zero. So the same thing. We would definitely not endorse the state law about the right of someone who has few children of the same gender uh, to uh, guarantee variation to PGD at uh, HRA Telec. I was actually very surprised that it was allowed in Israel. And as for abortion, I think here it's even more extreme to present evidence that father or mother will be affected with pathological psychiatric disease if they do not have variety among the offspring, that it would be very, very difficult on an objective basis. Thank you. Thank you. We only have a few minutes left, so if I could just ask, maybe, um, if I could just first ask um, if Professor Yonatan-Levy would just speak on one thing for a minute, and maybe if Rebo would speak on one thing for a minute, and then we'll take some questions. Um, live organ donation and the interaction of Charlie and the on that issue. And if Rebbe would maybe perhaps speak on one issue uh, of end of life issues, Professor Yonatan Levy has spoken about that a little bit. Maybe Rebbe wants to just highlight one particular issue. It's okay with uh, Professor Yonatan Levy to start, and then we'll take a few questions. Well, live organ donation apply mainly, but not only, to kidney donation. I one and uh, donate today also in of the liver. It's irrelevant with heart, it's irrelevant with lungs, also one low. As to kidney donation, there is no problem. I'm not aware of that. response. I think that uh, here uh, we see that the uh, life saving of the other surpasses the Chobel before and the Surim. Uh, that are involved in donating a kidney, and as far as I'm aware, everybody is for it. The question with uh, liver lobe or lung lobe, again, is the danger in surgery, and up until a few years ago, people were asking many about liver, but it's not simple surgery. We all know that Mount Sinai, a couple of years ago, lost a donor who donated uh, a lobe of his liver. If here the balance of danger to the life of the donor is as negligible as in kidneys compared to the Hasarat to saving of life of the recipient. 
I think that modern medicine today, uh, for sure, will confirm the vote for uh, lobectomy of the lung for the sake of uh, lung donation and uh, a lobectomy cutting one lobe of the liver, uh, usually the right lobe for, uh, for donation purposes, uh, is uh, long ago out of the experimental phase and uh, I think it should be permitted. In Charizard specifically, uh, we don't do liver transplants. Uh, in Israel there are only three hospitals to do it because of the problems that I mentioned extensively in my lecture, the lack of organs. Although the gap between demand and supply in livers is smaller in Israel than in this country for the reason that I mentioned in my talk, uh, still, Shai said that nothing to do with halachic reasons uh, did not um, develop a transplant program. Unfortunately, there are in Israel 50, 40 to 50 liver transplants, whether cadaveric or from a living unrelated donor or related donor, uh, which is about 40% uh, of the need. And there is no justification that more than two or three hospitals, many claim that not even three hospitals, the numbers in the literature is that a hospital that does not perform at least 25 liver transplants a year would never have an adequate transplant program. So uh, we don't do it in Charlotte, but not because of a lot of reasons, because it's not needed in Israel, but I will definitely promote um, donation of, uh, by a living donor regarding kidneys, liver, and blood. I agree. So it's that. Lo hova, End of life in one minute or less. That's what uh, I read the end. I also know Remy has sheer in a few minutes, so That's true. Me Thank you. Um, we get questions all the time. We're up on them in the field all the time. All the time. And I get people that left and they should never have to make these decisions. Just 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 last week, a few days back and forth, the situation there at Israel, a massive brain trauma, not brain death. So as I do in this case, I have my neurologist from my shul contact the doctor in Eric Israel, whoever it may be, and contact with me. And I received two emails just on Friday. The first email said, the one Thursday of our first email said, the doctor hasn't spoken to each other yet. And the second email said, Baruch Udayana event, which is in these kind of situations, we don't have to make a decision for them, but Hashem should make a decision for us. But there are situations in which the Rabbanim are called upon to make decisions, and uh, I, I, in some ways I'm somewhat liberal uh, in this area of not having to extend life uh, indefinitely in cases of pain you heard before, but also in other cases of irreversible lack of awareness. I have been criticized by some other abonacles. I believe it's, what I'm saying is in the spirit of the Igris Moshe or Moshe Feinstein, I can't say for sure. We don't have to call others on case that haven't written that explicitly. I believe that uh, many of my other rabbis felt the same way. But yes, with a heavy heart, and it's a significant responsibility that one has to undertake to make decisions which we don't have to make. But this is part of our responsibility, and we hope that 
the destruction of property. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to take one or two questions. Does anyone have any questions? Yes.
Any other questions? Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um